Shirt Show. All right, let's go. Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! Shirt All right! Episode 157 of Shirt Show. We're talking with Ryan from Covered in Ink in Colorado. Let's go! Hey, hey, bud. What's happening? Stressful Friday. Really? What's going on? Uh, I'm trying to get everything done today that mm-hmm. I wouldn't normally have to do for a week and a half. Yeah, well, whose fault is that? Yours. <laughs> Everything's my fault, and that's okay. Do you need me to fly up there real quick and help you? I can get some stuff done. I'm a get shit doneer. That's true. You are. You're a get shit doneer. So, like, you just give me a list. I'll check that shit off. Okay. Sounds good. That way you can, you know, do what you got to do. Like, the things that make you happy. Less stress. Thanks. I'll just have you work so I can just go outside and hang out. Maybe mow the lawn or something. That's up, right? That's up on your computer? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, we're up 2%. (laughs) Nice. It's it's better to be up 2% than down anything. Yeah, I I would agree. So that's oh. accurate. That's accurate. Yep. So it wasn't really two percent. I rounded up though. Like one point six seven five. That's really close. It was one point seven something. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't keep track. Yeah, just, who cares? We'll, we'll like, who really cares? Who gives a fuck? Like, I want out of this rat race, honestly. Yeah. Let's just get in. What kind of race is it? What's the opposite you know what's, of rat You know race? what's way easier is when you just don't look mm-hmm. into it. Like you don't look at the numbers. You don't look at anything. Yeah. As, just, as long as you can pay the bills, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Ignore it. <laughs> yeah. It's a hundred percent what I do. Yeah. If it's good or bad, who gives a fuck? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, when it's good, it's good. When it's not, it's not. You feel it. You don't need to run the numbers. Yeah. You're, you have such an instinct that you like you know it's in your blood like you oh i know what you right. probably know your number right now just while, without even looking yeah i just i just yeah. lick my finger and stick it in the air and the lint hits it and i know whether we're <laughs> really busy or not i like that i uh i fucked up as an owner uh there was this job that we do for a customer and they get these special uh sticker like basically UPC sticker. Normally we would do like whatever label and then a UPC sticker that's separate. But this customer has like a whole label that's got the UPC on it and everything. And I forgot to order them. And I was like, fuck. And this order is kind of like getting late. And I'm like, oh, God damn, I forgot it. So I did the whole run around, see who's got labels. Uh, I was going to do them on like the UPS label maker, but there's red in it in the sticker. So I was like, that's stupid. So I went to Target last night and got like label paper and uh, I just printed like a whole bunch of sheets. Well, anyway, I got it all set up. I did the test layout, I printed it on paper. I was like, okay, this looks good. So I took all the paper out of our uh, laser printer and then I put all the sticker paper in and then I go sit back down at my desk and I hear like, ka-chunk, 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 like paper coming out of the printer. And I realized I forgot to tell Chris to, uh, like not print anything for a while. <laughs> so he printed like half of the label paper that I had, I had went and got last night with like invoices. <laughs> the expensive 
Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was all like just invoices. So I was like, that's cool. So right before I got on this call, I like formatted all the labels I needed. And luckily I had just enough paper left to, to make it happen. So, uh, they're cutting them on the paper cutter right now. And then we're going to put the stickers on the bags and we're good. You fucker. Frank. Dylan. It all starts with the screen and whether it is new stretches or restretches, Frank and his team do it the best. To find out more, go to graphicscreenfashion.com, FFFFF. Rank.com. Or greatfuckingscreens.com. Yes. It almost sounded like you were saying go to Frank.com and then you stopped yourself. I might have almost been because I was thinking about <laughs> how when I was, I said something at one of my S's and it whistled. And I'm like, what's wrong with my lips? <laughs> <laughs> you know the people that whistle sometimes when they're talking that happened i think to me um cleaning screens is no fun but easy way makes it way more funner their line of eco-friendly chemicals will make reclaiming screens a whole lot easier check them out at easyway.com easyway it's the easiest way for sure sure you like the what is it the grandfather on family guy yeah. yeah. The creepy, creepy uncle or grandpa or whatever he is. I'm getting there. If you or your art department could use some love, then you need to go to 1900hotstuff.com and get in touch with Nick or Lucas. Or Nick or Lucas. At Graphics Source and let them run your art department so you can focus on running your business. Choosing the right emulsion for your shop is complicated and that's why we love Chromaline. Chromaline.com is where you want to go and watch Kev's vids. Or contact him on Instagram at the Emulsion Guru and get the answers you need. If your shop is like ours and you're running more and more DTF and screen print transfers, then you need a partner that you can get quality transfers fast. Check out Howard Custom Transfers at howardct.com. And while you're there, order yourself a sample pack. And let's give this a shot. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Ryan Kasperian. This is literally morning, perfect timing. <laughs> Couldn't have been better. What <laughs> shit were you guys talking before I got on? Never. No. Perfect. Yeah. How you doing, buddy? Well, uh, I'm, I've seen better days. A little grumpy, a little tired, but we're good. Well, perfect. That's what we want for the show. Is <laughs> some bitter asshole. So what happened to your mouth? Same old fans teeth? address? Yeah. Oh, I had a a filling kind of came out, and then I had an infection in a molar, and then fought with it for about a week, and then went to the went to the dentist, and they were like, "We have to pull this thing." There was an infection moving into your jaw, so I got the molar extracted, and then they drilled out the molar next to it, it sounds and like, filled that. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it took like an hour and a half. He like he couldn't get the molar out at all, so he's like pushing on my jaw and like for at least 30 minutes my my jaw was like this and he's like rocking me on the chair it was wild dude um i don't recommend uh you know i i wish i could have just been put under <laughs> oh definitely would have been way better but at least it was numb like i couldn't feel anything but like hearing it like because it cracked in half and for those people with with teeth and mouth phobias i'm going to be a little explicit with explaining this but my molar cracked into a couple pieces and then they had to pull the pieces out of my gum <laughs> it's awful 
Yeah, Brian has that. On painkillers. Yeah, Brian has that phobia. Like he doesn't like to. It really grosses him out when he sees people brushing their teeth. That's that's gnarly. It's gross. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> what have you been up to? Oh, you know, traveling, consulting. I uh, just got back from Relentless Merch and ML screen printing for the hundredth time. Uh, leaving tomorrow morning for LA. I'm doing Print Systems Inc. in Vernon, California, which is kind of like a southeast suburb of LA. Uh, doing a five day management course there, which is going to be awesome. That's I great. built this thing out, and I did the management course at ML. I recently just did it at Relentless Merch, and and those guys were exhausted by by Friday, so I kind of eased up on them Friday. Um, it's it's specifically kind of designed for the print shop management. So I kind of like, I, I leave out a lot of the, you know, some of the corporate type structure of having like 200, 300 employees where you have a hierarchy of assistants and, and supervisors and all that stuff. So most shops have like a production manager and they're running the, sh- the show with like 10 other people. And there's really no hierarchy there. And so I kind of like, I stripped all that stuff out, um, and kind of built a more hands-on print shop specific uh, management training. And the guys and gals at, at Relentless, they were, they loved every minute of it because it was, it was stuff they've never heard, stuff they've never been trained on. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I enjoyed doing this, you know, we're not classically trained to run large companies. And so like everyone kind of grows in yeah. to management and they grow into, you know, like Dom and I at Superior were laughing about it, you know, a couple months ago. Like we just like wake up one day and it's like, fuck, I have a multi-million dollar business. And like, I used to just, you know, skateboard with my buddies and print a couple band shirts. And like, now there's like 30, 40 employees. And I got to like, I got to figure out how to run a multi-million dollar company. It's like a lot of, a lot of shop owners go into that, like, oh shit, you know, like this is real now. Like, how do I even... And so they try to like backstep and go backwards and like, all right, so I have to build out a handbook and I have to come up with policies and I had to integrate and do all this stuff that I've never done before. And so like, I like to go in and, uh, you know, like a couple of shops have said, what's, what's nice is like those five days that I'm there, like I can end up doing like five years of development because I have it all built out already. Right. I just kind of like, I change all the, the shop names and I kind of like, I customize some, some of it. But then when I leave there, like they have a massive, you know, folder of documents and templates that they're able to kind of, you know, use and, and run off of from from there. I'm trying to change the, the mindset of most owners and upper management. Instead of trying to put a person in a position, let's build the position first and make sure that that person meets all those require requirements. And so like more times than not, and like the last couple of years of me consulting, I have fired, I, I did personally fire, but I've made strong suggestions to let go of three production managers specifically because they were press operators and they were the significant issue, whether they're toxic traits, they weren't able to, to manage you know, pers- personnel or they were playing favorites and they're kind of like, they're causing a huge divide on the production floor. As so I got to come in, witness that, and generally more times than not, when you elevate a person that was a, a kind of like a level plane, like they were a press operator and you have other press operators and now they're the boss, there's a little bit of resistance there because it's like, well, why is he the boss? He wasn't even that good on the press. Like the stuff like that really does happen. And so like what I like to do is let's paint that picture and build that position of what, it, what that production manager really needs to be and what the organization requires of that position 
And then we start going, does this person fit into that position? Usually more times than not, they don't. And so then we have to go, all right, what are the training measures and what is the timeline and what's the onboarding and how do we, what do we have to do to make sure that they are trained and they have the, uh, the correct amount of resources for them to actually succeed at that position and not necessarily just like, all right, dude, you're not going to run the press anymore. You're going to run the whole production floor. Good luck. And that's what, that's what I see. I see that everywhere. And, and unfortunately, well, I, I don't want to say unfortunately, but that's that's how I turned into a production manager. I think it was fortunate because like I started managing a shop that was, you know, I cut my teeth on a, a massive print floor. So it was like, it's like, man, I got to figure this out quick. And I was, dude, I was terrible for the first couple of years. And I, I see a lot of that in the production managers of the same way that I kind of ran the floor. So like I was like hovering around the presses because I was a former press operator and I wasn't paying attention to shipping and receiving. And I wasn't with the art department. And I was just like, I was so in tune with the print, with, with the presses. And I was like, I wasn't even like working with QC at all. I was just like, I'm so obsessed with like, all right, let's make sure these setups are correct and the, and the garments are running. And everything else was on fire behind me. And it took me, it took me years to kind of go like, all right, man, like I am in charge of production, which is every every facet and every little aspect of this entire production floor, embroidery, shipping, receiving, the art department, somewhat working with sales to control capacities and scheduling. And like, man, I had to like, I, I wish there was like the resource that I'm trying to give everybody. I wish there was like that, that picture that was painted for me to like hit that target because I didn't know yeah. what I was doing when I started, you know, tw- 12 years ago trying to manage shops. And so, like, what I'm trying to do is, like, I go in there. I'm like, all right, so we want to elevate fucking so-and-so to be a production manager. What do we require? What is the system they have to learn? What is the training? Like, let's do that first. Let's make sure that we build out what that production manager position is. And we make sure that we have a goal in mind. We're like, if we want to elevate, say, we want, you know, Dylan to be a production manager one day. Well, they're not really good with the computer. They don't understand how to use Printable or Inksoft or Shopworks or whatever fucking Monday, whatever system you guys are using. We need to make sure that there's a good training timeline and an onboarding plan for them. So maybe they're not production manager right away. And maybe we have a good training system where they're onboarded into the position. And I guarantee you're going to have a ton more success doing that. than just being like, all right, Dylan, next Monday, you're going to run the floor. So like, yeah. here's a laptop. Good luck. <laughs> one thing one thing I'm finding is it seems to be that that person all needs to be really good at managing things, but it also seems like they have to be somewhat good with like HR stuff because For sure. they're just dealing with people's fucking feelings all day long. That's why I loved the culture works training that I did with Chris Bash. Like it was it was eye-opening for me to realize that, you know, as a manager, like my tool set is no longer oppressed and squeegees and screens and flood bars and you know, the rags and cans of spray opener that I would get in my eyes and shit. It was, it was all in my head. Like my toolbox is like everything in my head. So like when there's a situation that happens on the floor, what do I say? How do I say it will always dictate the response. And as a manager, that, that response has to be pulled from a certain section in your, in your, in your management toolbox. And that was the hardest thing for me to learn was like, man, like, all the spreadsheets and all the word docs and all that stuff and the, all the books you have on your shelf, all that shit is great. But man, when something happens on the production floor, or someone walks into your office with like a serious situation, 
you have to respond to that relatively quickly and you can't just be like all right hold on let me go read a couple chapters and i'll be back with you like that one that looks like shit um but like i love the the culture works training because it let me kind of see the human aspect in a different light and you know if you want a good result you don't focus on short term you focus on long term and so when someone this is like say someone messes up a job on the press which is like the most you know common thing that happens that people get kind of like reprimanded for so like I, i've been accused of like giving people trophies for for when they mess up and that's that's not the case like i want to make sure that i use situational training specifically so like if if you mess so up what, a would, job, what would you say like what would you say to like what should so be the appropriate response to that? in the moment i take care of the situation and if it's like if if they mess up a job i i put them on their correct course to continue running the job you know, like, all right, we make the change. Like, say that's like maybe the red wasn't clearing right, and like there's a section of the graphic is missing. It wasn't covered completely, and it's like missing some of the red. And there's like a hundred shirts that don't have that now, so those hundred shirts are misprints. All right, so that happened. We fixed the red screen. Let's get through the job. I let them run the job and let them kind of like sit in it for a little bit, and let them think about it. Either calm down a little bit and let them kind of like go at it with an objective mind of like, man, what did I do? How did I mess up? What's wrong here? And I let that cool down for a little bit, let them finish the job. Once they're done ripping down the press, I then talk about it with them. And I don't do it in a group. Like I don't like have a big meeting at the back of the bell. I hate that shit because realistically the bell catchers aren't, they need one, they need to be involved. If they, if they kept seeing that shirt and they didn't say anything like, okay, let's get the bell catchers involved. But I have those at separate meetings. So like, I don't want to grab everyone together because when you get a group of people in and you start talking about a situation, you can start having finger pointing. You can have people start blaming each other and then it gets kind of weird or no one speaks up and no one even fesses up to what's happening. So I like the one-on-ones first. And so I'll grab the press operator and be like, all right, so I know you're loading blanks, but we have to make sure we're communicating with the person pulling that they're good. Like, are, are the prints good? Like, I always like the five to 10 shirt rule. Like, are we good? You know, like, you know, are you five to 10 shirts? Are, are you, you just trying to reiterate with them? Like the problem? Cause I feel like a lot of times it's shit that they already know. They're like, for they sure. Just slipped so, up or fucked up. Like, is it just the, like being like, Hey, just so you know, like we talked about this. The, yeah. The main thing is how we communicate on a production floor. So as a lead operator, you're loading blanks and sometimes you're, you're loading and pulling. So I, t- it's usually less of an issue when you have someone that's loading shirts and pulling the shirts. Cause they're also QCing their own stuff but when you have a lead press operator and then the person pulling maybe isn't as skilled or advanced and maybe their head's in the cloud they're not fucking paying attention and they start pulling a bunch of garments that are bad and so like i make sure that the lead operator understands that like that's your co-pilot you have to communicate with that lead out that that co-pilot are we good are the prints good how are we looking i mean i remember running a press and like dude every 10 shirts i'm like how are we looking how are we looking we good and like, cause I'm loading blanks. I don't necessarily see what the print looks like. And so I make sure that that communication is discussed and talked about. And I remind everyone that's how we talk. And then I go to the, the person pulling the shirts and kind of explain like, all right, so this is what we're looking for. Every single shirt that you pull, you are scanning that palette and you're looking for every nook and cranny of that print to make sure it's good enough to pull at that stage. There's a lot that you could fix if you leave it on the palette. So I teach the the pullers, even if it, so with water-based printing, what's killer is you can literally let that thing go around and like flash it, print the base again, and let it go around again. And you'll never even know. 
Uh, Plastisol's kind of tough because it starts stacking and it starts to feel like shit. So with the water-based shops, I'm like, just let it go around again. Like, literally let that print right. happen again on that shirt. And no one will ever know. The colors don't look any different. And it doesn't, it's not super thick. It's, it's It fixes that shirt. And so, like, I just go over that with the press, oper- press operator first to make sure that I reiterate how to communicate it running a machine. The co-operator, I'm like, make sure that they understand how they do their job. They're scanning that that garment. And you then think I it's go best to for the, them to have something in front of them, like a tablet or a mock-up on a piece of paper yeah, or something? Sure. I always love the mock-ups within, like, a head movement. So not behind, I don't like them behind you on the dryer. I don't like them when you have to walk away from the press. Like At least like some kind of control arm that's holding an iPad or a monitor up by the control panel of the press. Because then as you're pulling it, you're like looking up and you pull it and you look up. Like right. it's a See if that's super easy move. Yeah. Ryan, I think that... Okay, so how we handle situations like that here, I would say that most of the time we are ignoring... Maybe that's the wrong word... We're not having any conversations or mistakes, minor mistakes. Let's say like you just described, there was five shirts that, you know, we ran out of ink and it was almost inevitable sometimes. Other times, maybe there's a little, hey, we should have caught that a few shirts earlier. It depends Um, on the mistake for sure. Depends on the mistake. Um, I, I think that generally, you know, mistakes happen here and we fix them as long as it's in, within like that tolerance, right. Of what's pr- kind of acceptable We're human beings, we're going to, something's going to run out of tack and then. Well, if it doesn't oops, keep happening. You know, exactly. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I'm getting to is that I think it's, and this is my opinion, tell me what you see and maybe we're doing it wrong, but I think it's, I think you need to pick your battles maybe, or just let some mistakes happen, let's say. And until it's maybe a pattern or a problem or negligence, or maybe they just, this is a great training moment, you know, learning moment or something. I mean, is that what you're doing? I mean, I, does that make sense? Or is, are we, yeah, I try a, to is our approach wrong? No, no, no. I try to recognize those patterns for sure. And so like, you will notice like as a production manager, there are certain mistakes that happen in a pattern with certain operators. Like when you go to run hoodies and you know, that operator is not really good with, with hoodies and making sure that the web tag is correct. And so like, you know that there was an issue last time and there was an issue a couple of weeks ago. And so now as a production manager, your job is to pay attention to that and utilize a situation that could, you're trying to prevent those things from happening, obviously, but you got to make sure that like, if it happened once, okay, you know, like just quickly be soft about it and be like, Hey man. So I know, I know, you know what you did. And then the second time you're like, Hey dude, like this happened again, you know? And then as that pattern keeps evolving, goes into three and four and five times, like it's your job as a manager, like you have to intervene. You have to get interjected into the situation and start training or realistically, like what we were doing at ML, like if one machine operator doesn't necessarily run hoodies very well, don't give them a a hoodie rush shop, give that to another press that's good at it. So you schedule the machines accordingly to the operator skill set. And like that, that's, and I always played my operators to their strength. Cause I like, dude, I'm not going to put an operator that just started a couple months ago on a fucking 14 color eco and have them do like high color rush jobs. I just set up that operator and that production floor to fail. I'm not going to do that. And so like, I have to be conscious of mistakes and be conscious of those patterns, but like, you're absolutely correct. Like you don't need to, call out every single mistake but you have to recognize those patterns and when you get into that like second third fourth time 
that's when the patterns like has to be stopped and you have to interject and do something as a manager to stop those mistakes from happening. Do you think, um, do you think a production manager needs to be documenting mistakes so that, yes. you know, otherwise let's say you're running six presses or like the production managers, you know, how do you keep track of who made the mistake? Because it all of a sudden gets, you know, we blurry. have, <clears throat> we have these things we've been using for a while. I made these cards. It's actually called oops. I fucked up. It says on top the production log. And basically, if they mess up a shirt, 10 shirts, whatever it is, or something happens on press, they fill out this card with the reason, like what shirts got messed up. And then it immediately goes to ordering so they can reorder whatever got fucked up. And then they like take that card and basically fill the information out on this, like, uh, which this would probably be better if like Ryan made me a scan thing and it automatically did it. But uh, where it just go, go, goes into an Excel <laughs> sheet and it says, you know, the the press operator, the puller, and like what the problem was so that then I can go back quarterly and look at it and be like, well, Zach makes a ton of mistakes where he doesn't have enough tack on the pallets. And then I can have a talk with him or a retrain of like, hey, this is like how we tack pallets. Um, there's there was something that was said to me at one of the shops that I was at. I'm not going to name names, but like they specifically don't want to like track mistakes and they, they don't want to attack that. And it wasn't an argument. But I, I had to like, so just please understand that we are a production facility, like print shops at the level, especially like you guys, like the two auto and up type shops. Like it's a, it's a, it's a big moving engine. And like, we need to make sure that that engine is running in order for this business to stay alive. Part of the engine running is, is it running smoothly? The misprints, if you if you have mistakes, it's spoilage and spoilage costs money and it's waste and there it gets in all kinds of different avenues. We have to track and monitor that and make sure that we correct and kind of like redirect those courses and we stay on top of that. It's not like we're picking on people. Like we're not yeah. we're not trying to attack the person. And realistically, like it's it's usually not the person. Like I guarantee it's usually like shitty low tension screen with bad fucking stencils. And you guys are running jobs with like, maybe it's an eight color job with one flash and you're trying to do it in one cycle. And then the operator has been on the press for two months. Like I've, it's usually the system is what's, what's causing it to fail, not the person. So mm -hmm. I never, I never attack the person. I attack the process always first, always go after the the process, the procedures first, because it's usually that. And so I let, I let the staff know that like, if, if there are misprints and there's mistakes, I need to log it. I need to make sure because generally when I look at it, like, there's like maybe there's a line that was like exposed and in the screen. And so it's not necessarily, yeah, the operator missed it. Yes, the co-pilot, the co-operator missed it and the bell catcher missed it for sure. And usually that's the case. Like when there's a misprint, every motherfucker missed it. That's <laughs> usually the case. Like the, the art department didn't see something. The screen tech didn't see something. And it's, yeah. it's crazy how that works. Like if you have like 1600 shirts sitting back there, they're all messed up. Everybody missed the mistake, which is wild how that happens. But I have to take those situations and go, I have to break it down and I have to like go backwards through that production line and go like, all right, what was the real issue? And what was the real mistake? And usually I have to look at a, a spoilage log. Like I have to look at what those misprints were and how like you were like, you, what you guys are doing is great. Like you have the reason why, like what happened and you don't necessarily have to say like, Oh, you know, Brian in the screen room fucked up again. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to put that. You could just say like the under base on a one fifty seven 
like had the inside of the A was not knocked out or something like you could just, right. just that's all, say that's what all it was. I'm looking for is like the technical what happened, not like a force blame thing. I'm just looking to be like, all right, well, you know, is it tack? Is it screens? Is it, you know, what, yeah, what's what is the problem? It? Yeah, that's all. I have something I want to get your opinion on that kind of we've gone through a waves of throughout the years. And sometimes I think it's Bigfoot great, is a male. Uh, right. Well, I'm not a female. I think it's a male. Yeah. Yeah, usually um, when I see him, anyway, yeah, he makes me do weird stuff. Um, <laughs> is once in a while we get this weird dynamic where the there's always this versus thing where it's like office versus the shop. We and it's like in the summer, it's usually for other reasons because the office is in the air conditioning and the shop is hotter, or you know, there's just like people in the office doing their sales thing and then production comes in to get something approved and they're like, you need to, or this job's going to suck or this and this and this. And it just makes them feel shitty because they're out there producing it while they're in here sipping coffee with their fucking feet up. What do you do or what do you, what would you say if you walked into a shop and that was their biggest problem is like the, the tension between, do you say, knock it the fuck off do you say let's do more uh shop trips with everybody for team building exercises or do you just i don't i'm i've dealt with that so i i use the like with the sales department and you know i'm like you don't want to do that job it is physically exhausting and it is stressful and you have i try to make sure both sides understand each other and like with the press operators i'm like Please understand that every single misprint and every mistake that happens on this production floor, you guys don't hear about it from the client. That's my biggest argument to them is like they have to deal with the customer. Like you can be out here and just literally print shit and go home. Like they get like they get like mentally abused because they have to like talk to the customer or they have to deal with the stress of a customer being pissed or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's it's a grass is greener thing. You'd be like, oh, they're in air conditioning. Yeah, but they're getting fucking poked at all day by shitty customers every position is difficult and it has its own battles and its own hurdles and it's yeah one's mental and physical and like the battle between mental work and physical labor you know like it's tough but you have to try to break down those barriers and like i with my operators i'm like all right yeah it's it's definitely air conditioned for sure but do you want to listen to people complain all day and try to like price gouge and and, right. you know, attack, like say that the blue that we ran was different than the last time, even though that we didn't make any adjustments at all. Or it's like just you, stupid questions. It's just stupid shit. Like, it, yeah. How much are shirts? Yeah. And it, I don't, I don't think the biggest thing is just like, I don't know. I feel like just with the way things have been over the last year or whatever, I feel like there's a certain level of boredom because it's not like the shop is like crazy busy. Like we're, yeah. we got work to do, but it's a lot of like. Well, we if we had more jobs, if you did your job, and then it's like, okay, well, I got this job, but they say stuff that's like unnecessary, like, oh, this is yeah. gonna suck and blah blah blah. And then it's like, why'd you even fucking they already don't want to print it? Why do you have to say like, oh, that's this job's gonna be a fucking nightmare? How about you just yeah. shut, the, shut up and let them print it? You know, I think People, that's go ahead. I, I was gonna add just that I think that's toxic think. I think that when you're working within a team. And, you know, you're thinking the grass is greener, their job is easier, I work harder. You know, I think that that's an individual thing. And I I think that also that that can be contagious. And I've had that happen here. And I'm going to nip that in the bud. 
And I'm, I'm, I don't think that, I think I need to have a meeting with that person because, yeah. you know, I, I've had in the past where I've gone, I had a person here and if I went to them with a, or not even me, but if anybody went to them with a situation of like, oh man, this, this order is a hot mess. And how, you know, and they went to them for help. I've had a person in the past would be like, ah, oh, fuck, you know, and they're going to go smoke a cigarette and this sucks. And, you know, tell them to change their order. I'm like, you're, what do you mean? Tell them to change their order. What are you talking about? Like I came here to, for help. And so you can replace that person or you can try, give them a chance and say, Hey, this, the way you handled that, that that's just not going to fly. Like we're coming to you for, for help and for support. And they are, this person's on this team and I need this response. Hey, this, this order is a hot mess. I'm looking for some help. I need the person that says, okay, like, what, like, what are we going to do? Like, let's figure this out, get through it, go on to the next thing. Because most of the orders aren't a hot mess. You know, most of the orders are okay. But when something comes along, that's hard, you know, are you like the leader that's, you know, there's two, I guess there's two sorts of peacetime leaders and wartime leaders. Are you the piece of shit that when it's wartime, <laughs> you're going to be like being an asshole or something like, come on. And yeah, so yeah. I think that that's toxic think. And I think you need to work on that person too. You know, right, and that's why I said it. it's like it's not all the time, but it like comes in waves once in a while where it's like there's this like the fucking versus thing, and it annoys the shit out of me the most. And to be honest, that's something I've been dealing with for the past like mm-hmm. two weeks. It's just like this, this weird fucking thing. And then like, I just have to look at it. I'm like, none of this has to do with fucking printing shirts at all. It has to do with people just gassing each other up for no reason. It's a business. Mm-hmm. There's a group of people. Like, it's, yeah. you're gonna have that. Yeah. And it's just like, that's where I'm at now where I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do one-on-ones with everybody. And Andy sent me his fucking one-on-one sheet of like <laughs> how to figure this out. And it's like, I just want to everyone down and be like, Hey, I think the problem is, is that I'll grab somebody cause I hear something. And a lot of them don't think that I know everything, but everybody tells me to a degree, Oh, so-and-so is doing this. And so-and-so said this. And I think they don't think that I know everything that I know. And it's like, I'm going to sit them down and be like, hey, here's your fucking chance. Like air everything out that you have issues with or you want improved or what do you want? Like if I find out later, like a week from now, that you still have an issue with something and you told somebody something else that you didn't tell me, like we're going to have a fucking problem. Like I want to know now what's the problem so that I can do what I can do to fix it. If I bring you in my office and I'm like, hey, I just want to know what's up. And they're like, oh, everything's great. Everything's great. And then a week from now, I hear fuck this and this and this. I'm going to be like, dude. I'm not fixing shit for you now because well so, something else to, there's a bigger thing going on and so i usually i go i'll go to management and i'll try to understand the verbiage that's being used and so like usually the employees are getting that like us versus them from how other people are talking on the floor and usually it's like the production manager talking to a press operator about how stupid the sales team is and like they're feeding the employees that information. And so like I try to make sure that like in a meeting or in a professional environment, when you're a manager, you're saying us, you're saying we, and you're not going like, well, they, you know, like we will do better. We will fix this. We got this. You know, like, I like that. that's I like that we. Well, it's important. Like, if we are a true team, you're like, mm. we are the ones that are gonna, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the beginning of the ordering process or all the way to like shipping and putting a box label on something. Like, we as an organization are all a part of this. And it's important for all of us to do every aspect of this, this ordering process. And mm. so, like, if, if like someone does mess up along that chain, you know, like, what are we going to do to help and fix that situation and give support to those other departments? And like, 
we uh, we always have the the bell catchers do some of the prep work for shipping and and i always try to get everyone like in this in tune with what's next yeah. you know like the the screen department is prepping the screen for the operator to use them correctly so we would we put the uh, the the printhead sequence on the screens and so you grab you know number two of four and you know that's the second that's the second screen in the sequence and so like we're doing little things that help the next person in line so it creates more of that team mentality mm-hmm. and most of these shops that have like a, a press operator that has to mix their own ink and the press operator has to go find their own screens and sometimes even i've even seen like a press operator that has to burn their own job for jobs for the day and then they run shit I'm just like, I'm like, oh, like there's no prep work. There's no team mentality at all because you're doing most of the work right, like you're, for yourself. You're taking care of this whole job, basically. And then when something gets messed up because of the atmosphere, because of that, how that shop is, you just start attacking that person that is not you. Like, you're just like, man, the art department fucking sucks. Like, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no choke or trap on the fucking base. And it's just like. You know, like maybe it's just the, the screens are bad tensioned and you can't get a good spread and a good peel. I did ask Ch- Chat GPT actually what a the role of a production manager and they listed it, off. It varies things. on industry. I think it, you're that's true. I didn't specify screen printing or anything, but some of them are, are really accurate. I don't know if you wanted me to share a couple and we can talk about yeah, it. As long as, as, as long as they're not a mile long. Yeah. I'll just say like maybe the, the bullet point of it. And the, the first thing that it said is leadership skills. Um, second thing, and stop me if you if you hear one you want to elaborate on. Second one is excellent organizational skills. Uh, third one, strong communication skills. Four, technical knowledge. So, like on these just just these first four, yeah, you have to have a leader. You have to have a person that can organize. You have to have a person that communicate. You were just talking about like a liaison between art. And shipping and receiving, and the press operators. The linchpin. You know, right. Uh, number four, technical knowledge, technical knowledge. They have to know uh, how to run Some. a press. You know, basic at least, because yeah. you know you're going to have issues. How, I also. How important do you think that is, Ryan? Like with the, the technical knowledge thing. So, like, I don't expect you to, you know, start adjusting and dialing in chemistry in the ink room, and to really dial in EOM and all that, like all that stuff. But you have to have a basic understanding of like, if you see an issue, like what is the area of resolve? <laughs> like right. where, what's, where do we go to solve that problem? You have it, like, you don't even have to be the problem solver. You just have to put the person that can solve it in a position. So like, that's where like that, the print engineer that, you know, Danny and all the, all the temper shops are, are talking about like having that, like, really experienced skilled printer on the floor the manager doesn't have to be so in tune with how to print you can literally have someone running around the floor that helps with setups and helps with you know mm, running right. and setting up the press that if there is an issue you can, as a manager you can be like all right jason or whatever the fuck his name is like i i really need you to step in on press two to make sure that that's that's fixed you know like at least as a manager you have to have tools to solve that problem Whatever it is, like it doesn't have to necessarily be you, but you have to have a answer and a resolve for all the problems on the floor. Over the last year or two of doing the consulting, going to these shops and whatever, and a lot of them are friends of ours. Um, what are some of the things I know we talked about like, oh, one day you wake up and you run a multi-million dollar shop or whatever, but what are some of the other things that you see that are just like, I don't know, just missed, like missed things that like 
they we should be doing from the start that we have to find out way later that oh we should have been doing that well really really and truly understanding what you're working with like if everyone read the fucking text sheets i wouldn't have a job like i would i would go into so many shops and the questions that they were asking me are literally on a tds like what is this ink cure at how do I, like what squeegee should I use to print this this white ink? Like start with those data sheets and understand what you're working with, and just having if this is like a, a PSA for everyone listening. Understand that all of these variables, the emulsions, the the light source, the like if you're using film or CTS and all like your presses and your dryers and all that, not everything is compatible. And so when you when you buy a certain ink with a certain emulsion and you're exposing it a certain way and you have a certain dryer, you have to make sure and understand the compatibility with all of those variables in this process. And most shops just look for deals and they go like, all right, this ink is the cheapest and this emulsion is the cheapest. And my buddy's starting to stretch screens for the first time. And then I got this machine used. And then th- those are the shops that have the biggest fucking headaches every day all day because they're not investing the time and understanding the back end data portion like you have to understand what these are like what emulsion really is why should i use a dual cure versus an sbq and like going to all these different formulas and adjustments like spend some time when you're even when you're you know 10 years in but man when you're first starting out spend all that time trying to really understand what you're using so like what we run and why we have this emulsion and why we have this ink like you are responsible for that but as you grow and get bigger and like say you do have like a print engineer person on your floor like yeah it starts to get into the print engineer makes those calls the production managers make those calls um and then like some of the massive shops that have you know like little pods like the the pod managers start to talk amongst themselves and like they start to be a collective, like where they start going like, hey, man, like how's how are those presses running this white ink? Mm-hmm. And like then you get the, a collective of people to start talking about feedback and making decisions. And like the bigger the shop gets, the further removed the owner is from like, you know, like this is the type of squeegee. This is the company we're buying squeegee rubber from. You know, like realistically as an owner, like who gives a fuck? Just have 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 the production manager or the print engineer or the or the pod managers kind of like make the decisions on what they need for them to do a good job. Uh, with within reason, because like sometimes you get into like buying drums and there's like such a drastic difference in cost that you want to make sure that the production manager is a little in tune with what the best, you know, purchasing method is. You know, some I, I had a uh, relentless merch. They were they were buying a, a shitload of five gallons, and I showed Matt like the you know like you should you should you're in drum mode, homie. Like it's time for you to start getting drums of white ink and drums of black, and and if you're doing water based stuff, you get drums of bases and stuff like that. And he started looking at the prices like holy shit. I'm like yeah, if if you took that like thirty gallons and multiplied it by your five gallon cost versus the drum cost, like it's so much more expensive for five gallons. Does a good leader or the owner, you know, should they get out of the way of their production yes. manager and let them decide? Even though, yes. like in my opinion, let's say I think, oh well, you know, this emulsion's better and this emulsion's cheaper, like you said. You know, should I get out of the way and let the production manager make those choices? So m- my response would be as a owner of a million dollar company why are you concerned with the rubber that we use to print with 
Mm-hmm. There are bigger things for you to be concerned about. And realistically, as a as an employee, I'd be like, I need you to worry about your ability to make sure that we all have really good pay and we have jobs to run. Stay away from like, this is the type of split tape we use for our screens. Why are you fucking concerned with that? That's not anywhere in your wheelhouse. Stay out of it. How many owners like, do you think get in the way? Fucking all of them. Every single one <laughs> that I, I've consulted ever. And like... There, there's amazing, amazing people, and it's not like mm-hmm. it's a mistake, and it's it's really just a, a level of passion and care. Like they, you guys care so much about your company because you built it, and I understand that. I, I love it, and I love working with that because when I talk to owners, like when I kicked Mike at ML out of his business, and he was just like he was like freaking out. He fucking loves it now. Now, like they're doing twice as much as they were doing when I first started with them. And he is he's so removed that he has the mental strength to deal with so much money going back and forth that he's has a better quality of life because of like how I told him to stay out of it. And but but with that separation, there has to be someone there that's able to run that business physically, like like a, a operations manager, general manager, production manager, whatever. There's two components. Like someone has to run the business side of things, and someone has to run the production side of things. And if you don't have that person that can run the production side of things, you're going to be involved as an owner and you're going to feel like you have to burn screens and you're going to feel like, but it's your job to find someone to fucking fill that gap and to to take over running the production portion of it. And if you feel like there's no one out there that can do that, it's you, sweetheart. You are the one that's not (laughs) able to train that person. You are the one that's failing and you need to understand that. I think one thing we've done here is it's a little different in the sense of like, I'm an owner, but I'm also like super involved with like industry stuff or seeing new products or whatever. And I'm not necessarily out there printing, but like, I might learn something on the show. Like I might learn something from you, Ryan, and be like, okay, like I heard this today. And then I go out and talk to production and I'm like, Hey, this is something I, I want to try. And realistically what we do is we do like a side by side. I'm like, okay, you try it your way. I'll try it my way. And if your way is better than my way, then I'm gonna be like, okay, cool. Like that's what we're yeah. doing. But Let's if my way is better, then it's like, hey, this is what we're doing from now on. This is maybe you don't say my way. You could say this way. So hey, yeah. why don't you do it that way and I'll do it this way? You know, let's just like let it the proof is in the pudding, I guess. This is the perfect time. method A, method B. This is the perfect time, I think, for you to share your finger in the fan analogy. We yeah. do it every episode. You ever put your finger in a fan? Fucking hurts and it stops the fan. Quit doing it. (laughs) Uh, I guess it depends on the size of the fan. Like the little ones is probably not going to hurt as much. And so that goes with the size of the shop. So like if it's a little Mm. shop and it's a little fan, eh, it probably doesn't hurt very much. But if it's a fucking massive shop and a giant metal blade, I guess it's going to cut your fucking finger off. Stop. Yeah. Um. So you've kind of switched things up a little bit. it, It sounds like from what I've, hearing you're not going to be on the road as much i will be consulting a lot less tell us about uh, that uh, that whole transition uh, a lot of it is still in the air and can't really be discussed too much but i'm going to be working part-time every week at superior inc being more of a like technical advisor kind of development uh person part-time so we're going to rebuild the system. We're going to kind of rebuild and train management and the employees on how to 
maybe run a little more efficiently without all the additional work. And there's, there's some stuff that I've witnessed over the last couple of years and that they've wanted to do. It's not an inability on Hunter and Addison's part because they're fucking doing an amazing job. Well, Shout you out consulted to for them, right? Yeah, I've been there for the last couple of years. Um, so what are you going to do differently this, that you now that you're putting yourself in? I'll, I'll be able to do it more frequently. So what sucks and like why? Like I love and hate consulting. I love it because I'm able to make a massive impact. But I, I, my biggest fear happens. And so like the impact happens for that week that I'm there and it fucking dies out when I leave. And everyone goes right back to the way that they were doing things. And then I, I have owners that are like, yeah, I feel like it was a, a wasted investment. And I'm like, well, what did you change? What did you, are you guys still on the same track that we're doing? And every owner's like, no, we didn't do any of it. I'm like, well, what the fuck? Like, it's like, it's like you're sick and you go to a doctor and they're like, you should quit putting your finger in your eye. And you're like, well, it's, it still hurts. <laughs> it's like, you didn't do anything to stop. Like you did nothing right. I said to change. So like, but, but I, I, Still love it because there's there's some shops that I, I make a massive impact and I, I've changed the lives of the owners and some of the employees. Um, and I, I've really helped businesses thrive, which is awesome. And I, I love that. But I have a massive project right now in developing the Covered and Ink SOS, which is the shop operating system. And it's like some of you that like follow me on Instagram and my buddies and stuff that I send stuff to, they know I've been working on this massive app. And it's going to allow me to go part-time superior ink development and part-time being in tune with the print shop that I can work with year after year and really make, really make some massive improvements. And I get to spend the other like half of the week still doing some consulting. The, the development side of things, it's going to give me more time to work on. Maybe it's selfish. Maybe I'm being selfish, but it's going to give me more time to work on my massive project, which is going to be a, an app that's specifically designed to help run production floors and isn't the Printavo ink soft. Think of it like a companion piece to those softwares. It's not going to be so much in tune with like sales and order processing. It's going to be procedures and tools. Yeah. It's going to be like specifically designed to help run uh, print production floors. So it's going to be like production trackers and all kinds of different scheduling maintenance stuff. It's going to, I, I can't show any stuff yet, but I've shown you guys some stuff, but I yeah. don't want to air anything publicly, but there when will be some beta be stuff ready? I'm going to be airing. So uh, the game just changed. Like literally I'm going to have a ton more time and more financial opportunities to kind of make it happen. So it's probably going to happen sooner than later. Uh, I'm shooting for end of 2024. Realistically, beta is going to be out earlier. And I want to do a ton of testing before I launch because I, I don't, I don't want to launch in like a version one and have to make adjustment after adjustment after adjustment. Yeah. Like I want to sit in this for a little bit and keep pumping stuff into it to when I do launch, it's fucking running and it's like close. It's it's really well, good. You could, you could put it in place at Superior, right? And actually use yeah. it. So that's the point too, is like, I have a home shop to where I can, I could run it and make tweaks in real time. Do you have anything new or that's going on with you or the consulting or anything that we didn't touch on that you think we should talk about or the state of the industry right now? Oh, uh, no, not really. I mean, I really want to see more shops get technical. Like I want them to dive in. To understand, oh, so disclaimer, and John McGee is going to back me up. When you are running certain inks and you're like, man, this ink sucks, look at your screens first. Please, for the love of fuck, 
make sure your screens are <laughs> dialed in. Because like as I looked into like the chemical makeup of most of these zincs, like they're fucking so close to each other, they're almost the same. It's usually that your screens. And so like when I go into shops and I see fucking nine different mesh counts and they're all different mesh types and there's no tension meter whatsoever. I'm like, I guarantee you guys think there's a certain magical white ink that that's the best. I hate to break it to everybody. There's no such thing as the best white ink. They're all fucking good. If your screens are dialed in, I have done so many side-by-side tests where I'm like, I don't even know which one was which they look. I mean, obviously between poly and fucking cotton, like there's a drastic difference for sure. But if you stack up like four or five different cotton inks and you run them on really good screens, like they look so close to each other. It's hard to tell. I, make sure your screens are perfectly fucking dialed. Everybody. Screens. Which we, screens we should first. be able to, we should be able to dive into that more, learn more about that at the uh, thing that uh, Andy's working on. Right. Do you have any oh, info right. on that? Yeah. So August 11th, we are going to host a summer camp shirt show summer camp it's going to be a lot of those things you just talked about so like how do you print the best white well um was it, it sorry to cut you off but were you guys talking about the summer camp on a previous podcast and you're talking about a movie with the fat kids yeah that's heavyweights, heavyweights the name of the yeah. movie was heavyweights yeah i don't know if you knew the name of the movie in the in the podcast I, I knew it i just couldn't think of like what it was and then immediately when it aired i got like 10 texts yeah was, i was like it was heavyweights, dude. Yeah. <laughs> i love that movie hell yeah all right go ahead andy i don't even know what you're talking about but continue our summer camp and <laughs> Sorry. who knows how it's gonna go we've never done anything like this before but you know we haven't officially announced it or anything like that because i have to build the website to so you that you can register and things like that. Where's it but at? We it is here Shirkong. at Shirkong. Oh, yeah, right. And so we have uh, Ray coming in from Avient. We Sweet. have um, we Shout have from line. Kevin will come, Kevin. and so like you Shout said, you know, screens matter. Uh, EOM matters. Um, who? Frank. Frank, of course, because yeah, mesh matters. We have uh, Graphex is going to create the art for it. SNS is going to provide the shirts and the swag. Um, who am I forgetting? We've got uh, oh Alex Easyway. He's going to come here just because of his mustache. Uh, what does else? he still have that? Does he still have that dick broom on his face? It does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> but we're trying to get we're trying to get as many people involved mm-hmm. as we can in the you know the pre press stage to. Yeah, just what you said, like not necessarily the ink, but more mm. getting everything ready to have the best possible setup for having. I'm and doing let's it. be I'm honest. I'm putting it on my calendar. Let's be honest. It's really just to hang out. I mean, mostly yeah. have some hot well, dogs. So, so when you say summer camp, like I was thinking like a fucking retreat, you know, like mm-hmm. some, some kind of real, real camp. That's in the works too. We've talked about that. I, I want to, one of these years coming up, I want to like rent a camp. Like heavyweights. Yeah. We'll get a blob. We'll fucking. The thing is, we go to all these shows all the time and it's like you feel obligated to go to the show and you have to do that. And then the real fun is just hanging out with everybody afterwards. I hate the conventions, man. Right. So why don't we just do why don't we just do like four days at a campground and we just do the hangout part for four days straight. 
that since I don't drink anymore, I, everyone else can get drunk. I can fuck with them when they pass out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we'll do, you know, the, the acoustic guitar on the campfire, the yeah, hikes, fuck the yeah. swimming, the drinking, whatever you want to do. Let's just do it. Well, for a I'll find days. out. I'll find out how much it costs for Ben Stiller to make an appearance. And exactly. He, he can, he can wear that fucking speedo jumpsuit thing and jump out on the branch. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Um, do you want to get into quick takes, Andy? We or do can, you have a chat GBT question? Uh, no, that was basically the production manager thing. I thought, though, that we could try uh, this new little thing, and that is uh, a truth share. So it's kind of like truth or dare, but just the truth part. And Circle of trust. Uh, yeah, I can go first. Yeah, it's just us three that are going to ever know. Um, so a while back before it spring happened it was colder out and uh i had this uh I, I was sleeping on the couch because that's better for my back sometimes and so i was out on the couch and it was chilly i didn't have a shirt on and i reached for the closest possible thing and it was cashmere and i put it on and it felt just so good it felt good on my <laughs> on my body and uh I, I don't know where this is going but i i like it I want and to say so, so much right now. I know I can't politically. And so I fell in love with wearing cashmere uh, when I sleep. <laughs> so I was just going to say like, hey, sometimes we discover these, you know, life hacks and it's important to share them. And if you ever are chilly and you ever maybe having trouble sleeping, try a little cashmere. It feels really good. I honestly have no idea what it looks like, what it feels like. It'll never be in my home. You're missing out. I'm just just saying, America. All right. So, what do you sleep in, Dylan? I know if it's not, a, if it's not a drug rug, it doesn't belong on me. Um, <laughs> what do I sleep in? Nothing. Yeah. I sleep mm -hmm. naked, and I barely ever have a blanket on. Pictures, pictures would never happen. You mean you have your boxers on still? I have boxers on, yeah, and sometimes no boxers, but like I don't even wear a blanket most of the time. Like it's just straight <laughs> naked body on a mattress. Looks like a dead dead bear with me. Yeah, I already look like a fucking exactly a dead bear sleeping. Um, yeah, like not literally nothing. All right, all right. Well, that was gross. Uh, so do I have to say what I sleep in? <laughs> I guess if you want to share that, but this is. You have to share a truth. You don't have to okay. share what you sleep in, though. Truth share time. Truth share. Um, how deep? Like, how deep should I go? As deep as you want. Um, I have recently, with my ability to consult and public speak, I have kind of broken a barrier with social anxieties. Oh yeah. So for for years, I struggled with you know some. I used to play in bands, and I I'd get. I, I know like stage fright's a thing, but it wasn't necessarily the performance. That was the easiest part about you know, playing in bands. What I fucking hated was being at the merch table and talking to people at the show afterwards. It was a little easy because I was fucking blackout drunk. So there was really no social anxiety. That's why I drank though. That's why I was like that. And now that I'm, I'm I don't drink, I don't eat medication. It's, you know, I'm, I'm on painkillers because of my tooth, but I'm not prescribed stuff that, you know, take all day, every day. Uh, for those those social anxieties and so with my ability to travel and i sometimes i'm giving speeches for like 30 40 people that i've never met before in my entire life 
and I'll rant and rave for like 30, 40 minutes. And you have this like super inspirational, like fucking 300 or gladiator type type moment from a movie. And then I'll walk away. I'll go outside and kind of smoke a cigarette, chill out. And I was like, dude, like, where the fuck did that come from? Like, you were never yeah. even able to like, at, like when someone's like, hey, man, I love your band. I'm stoked to see you. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> I just like freak out, and, like run away. Um, but like the the truth behind that is, you know, it, it took me a long time. You know, I'm in my early 40s now. It took me a long time just to kind of like focus on being able to do that. And it just happened maybe a couple of years ago. And it took me to kind of stop drinking for me to lose all those. And realistically, top, I was prescribed Xanax for like 10 years. And it's crazy that I stopped having panic attacks and I stopped having social anxieties when I stopped taking the medicine that's supposed to help you with, with all that shit. All it did was make me a fucking junkie and a piece of shit. Like Xan being prescribed Xanax for my doctor and then drinking almost every night. I should, I'll just be honest. I, I was drinking every night. Like that was such a nasty chemically induced fucking paranoia, social anxiety. And it was just like, I turned into a piece of shit. And once I sobered up, went to rehab and got my, my head out of my own ass, I realized I was like, man, this is actually pretty easy. Like I can cope. I can deal with all these situations. What do you think um, was the biggest driving factor to get you to do that though? Like just that this is the passion. This is what you wanted to do. You kind of had to break through that or. Some somewhat it wasn't like, it was just a, it was a byproduct, you know, like I, I yeah. had to speak in front of everybody and I had to meet new owners and I had to, work with people I didn't know. And so like, I had to break through that kind of intent. Like I had to, I was yeah. so how did you do it though? Like you just did it, like just walked up. Well, and so I so No. So I sobered up before I started consulting. And so like, I was able to consult the way I consult and work with all these new people. Cause I do, I've met and worked with thousands of people in the last couple of years, even remotely over zoom and all that stuff. And, but I couldn't imagine myself doing that. 10 years ago, like I would have been a fucking mess and I would have like freaked out and like probably said some terrible things and made bad decisions and probably like what I had a nervous breakdown or a panic attack when I was like training someone on how to coat screens or something that's kind of trivial at this point. But it's like the, the truth behind it is I was very open with my my substance abuse issues and I'm very open and I work with some people in the industry that have the same type of issues. I give them advice on what to do. And I have really deep heart to hearts and, you know, I, I can't ever tell anyone what to do, but I can tell them my story and I could be truthful about my story and let them know that dude, like what your, your self medication is what's making you fucking sick. Like stop trying to self medicate and you're going to get better. It's crazy yeah. how it works. Isn't, isn't growth great. Like we all have these things, you know, awesome. it, was, it hurts. For, it hurt, it's hurts and it's hard, but yeah, unless you go through that, Exactly. It's so great though, isn't it? Once you're through it and you are on the other side of it, aren't you glad you went through that and did it? Absolutely. That's like, been the last two years of my life, basically. Like even I have a little uh, cold bath, like I have a little inflatable cold bath outside that's, you know, like forcing yourself to do things that are uncomfortable. You know, like you start, you feel there's a different mindset there. Like when you accomplish something like that, I'm trying to do that more and dude, I'm not fucking perfect. And I don't use that cold plunge every day. And it's not about, I just had a dentist, you know, explain that. Cause I smoke and I was like, 
I'm going to try not to smoke at all. He's like, no, fuck it. Go ahead and smoke. And I was like, what? He's like, if you don't (laughs) smoke, you're going to put your body into shock and you're not going to heal as well. He's like, obviously don't. And I never smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. I don't smoke that much, but he's, he's just like, you know, like obviously don't fucking chain smoke while you're dealing with your, your, your tooth extraction. He's like, but you know, like get a couple in. So your body doesn't go into like, you know, withdrawal because you don't have nicotine. And so like, I'm trying to like wrap my head around this. Like, it's like, dudes, I am all or nothing. Like I'm either doing something all the fucking way or I'm not doing it at all. And so like, I'm trying to be honest with myself about like, dude, it's okay. If you do some, just do some things that are better for you, you know, like walk sometimes, do the cold plunge sometimes and like you're gonna you're gonna feel better and you're so trying. like I, i'm trying and I, i'm trying not to like i have to do cold plunge every day at fucking 7 15 or you're, you're a failure like i'm trying to ignore that that, that that part of me no well that's awesome man it's good to hear i mean like i said i i understand to a degree i didn't have to go through a lot of that but i went through a lot of life changes over the past two years and I think for me, like I said, walking and just being honest with myself has been the biggest thing. So I fully get it. It's awesome. Uh, what would be an unhappy meal for you? A happy meal. Not a McDonald's fan? Nah, fuck no. Okay. As much I like sometimes I you don't have a choice and you gotta fucking eat it, but I'd rather eat like you know, a decent decent meal somewhere. Mm-hmm. Some mom and pop restaurant that's you know, takes pride in what they do and it's not formulated for consistency all over the world and spit out in a matter of seconds. The only thing about McDonald's that weirds me out is like, if you buy a meal from there and you just let it sit out, it looks the same like months later. Like not broken down. If I'm driving and I'm fucking starving and I see the, you know, I see the arches, I'm like, Oh God damn it. I got to get like a chicken sandwich maybe. And those fucking fries are just like, they're, they're so good because they're salt. That's just all salt. Just covered. Yeah. I'm guilty of doing it, so I can't talk shit. Would you rather be a guitar tech for the Creed reunion tour or be... Or. I mean, or. I'll do or. Or be Dylan and I's assistant for a year. For free. Yeah. Free. yeah for sure. For sure. He switches back. He's like, yeah, Creed doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> no, no, no. Fuck Creed. I'm not, I'm not doing, doing that because then I tarnish my fucking death metal name. I'm not working with those assholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you watching, reading, or listening to right now? So I have this revolution book about the history of the turntable for vinyl that I'm kind of working through. I'm looking at it right now. Um, watching my wife and I just got through all of the Yellow Jackets show um listening to um yesterday i last thing i listened to was my asthmatic necrosis <laughs> for, for those deep deep death metal deep cuts out there i was just gonna <laughs> say deep cuts <laughs> um yeah there's your there's your listen read and watch. speaking of did any did you watch the last episode of ted lasso yesterday nope what is that shit? I've, I've heard the Ted Lasso thing. What is it? It's just a good, wholesome show about a, a guy who's a coach for a soccer team. It's just a good show. How much of your success is attributed to the work you put in and how much is due to luck? 
there was there's some luck for sure but the work like I, i'm not able to go to a shop and have someone deal with a problem and not have an answer because everything that anyone's presented to me i've been through it so it's the work you know like some someone be, they'll be faced with an issue where they have a problematic job i'm like oh dude i i've done 10 times that <laughs> like i know how to help you guys um so there's a lot of work involved but luck being you know like i lucked out with you guys reaching out you know like me doing the podcast right in the beginning of it when I was still at Denver. I think I did the podcast at Denver Printhouse. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I definitely lucked out and had you guys reach out and got to use the shirt show platform to get a lot of those customers. And so like, I'm very grateful for you guys. Like you, what you guys are doing is fucking amazing. And I'm truly grateful for what you guys are doing. But we love you, man. Thanks for coming on. Love I'm you stoked, guys. I'm stoked to see what you do next. Um, and I'm excited awesome. to see this uh, program, this app. That's going to be cool. Uh, if anyone, So for everyone reaching out and asking a million questions, I can't give you answers yet. <laughs> I, I can't. So, like, so I, just I, wait. Yeah, just wait. You're going to see, you're going to see a rollout, you know, with some stuff, hopefully end of this year, or early next year, because I'm going to be focusing on it for the next six months straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to see some, some more development faster, which is going to be better. And, you know, like, obviously there's a handful of shops I'm going to have beta. So I'm selecting those shops. So don't reach out and be like, Hey, I want a beta test. You know, like this, there's a reason why I'm selecting certain shops because I, there's a size and a location and a skill level why I'm asking these shops so I can get certain feedback. I'm just being secretive and cause there's, there's, there are certain parts of this that it would be beneficial for other companies to have. So I'm, I'm kind of keeping that under wraps. Understand if you know what I mean. It's a very good idea. Well, Ryan, you have a great rest of your day, man. And uh, oh, yeah. we'll talk to I'm you gonna soon. I'm going to pack and then leave tomorrow morning. I love oh, you, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and uh, keep crushing it. Thanks, dude. Love you. <laughs>